text tonight is Romans 5, 12 to 21. The title for tonight's teaching is The Wideness, The Wideness of God's Grace in Christ. Um, this is one of my favorite passages in the book of, of Romans, and I'm going to try and go quickly, but I want to cover what I think is a a central theme in Romans that helps explain some of the other passages that are like spokes in the wheel and run off of it. So Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 12. You all got it somewhere in front of you? All right. Therefore, that's an important word. The connectors are always important. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin... So death spread to all men because all sinned. So it enters the world and then it gains momentum being expressed in everyone. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Okay, so we know when the law came through Moses. But sin was there before the law. But sin was not counted. Doesn't mean it didn't matter, but it wasn't. It wasn't as recognizable in terms of breaking an official standard, the way you count a score in a game. Sin was not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. So even though the law wasn't there, we know sin was there. How do you know? Well, because people were dying. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. How, how, later on, after Adam, how was their transgression different from Adam? Well, Adam, even though the law wasn't given to Moses, Adam was like Moses in the sense that he was given a specific, recognizable command. Don't eat of the fruit of that tree. So there was something recognizable, a command from the Lord to be obeyed or ignored. Go back to 14 and get a running start. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift, now he's talking about something different, but the free gift is not like the trespass. Now he's going to start making comparison between grace and sin. The effects of grace in Christ, the effects of sin in Adam. 15. But the free gift, it's not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man Jesus Christ abounded for many. Just notice in verse 15, many, many. Many died through one man's trespass. You see that? And now the grace abounds to many. So it's many with Adam and it's many with Christ. I just want you to notice that. 16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses, brought justification. Condemnation, justification. There's the difference in the gift, what was given. 
17. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more, that's the second time he said much more, will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation of all men, we should notice that, moved from many to all. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. So many, many, all, all. 19. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So now it's many, many. My point is this. It's important. When he's comparing Adam and Christ... He uses exactly the same words in each case. Many, many, all, all, many, many. 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. There's that more word again. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life. If I was underlining, leading to eternal life, circle leading, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Help us, Lord Jesus. It's a difficult passage. One of the greatest truths in the Bible is here, and we want to get it, and we want to see it tonight. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. This is my favorite passage in Romans. I can remember when the lights came on for me about... 15 years ago, working through the book of Romans and studying it. I don't remember who I read or if it was just working through the text. I don't remember how it came, but I remember when the lights went on with the precious truth that I've cherished ever since, and I hope I can make you cherish it as well. Um, I keep this passage in mind when I come to those beautiful sovereignty of God passages in 9, 10, and 11. People always think that I have a hard time with those, and I don't. I embrace those passages. They don't bother me in the least. But I think they have to be read in the light of what is said in this central foundational teaching in this text. Therefore, you see it in the very first verse we read, verse 12. I take that to mean that these verses... We should study them. The therefore, at the beginning of verse 12, it provides the reason, the explanation for the assurance that we are justified and we have peace with God. If you looked back at Romans 5.1, that's what it's all about. He's starting into this subject about having hope, confidence, peace with God. And when he comes to verse 12, he says, therefore, meaning I'm still talking about assurance. I'm still talking about peace with God and confidence in that. This text gives the explanation for the much more phrases that are used in 5, 1 to 11. We studied that last week. I don't know if you have access to those verses, but in 5, 1 to 11, he has more than that. We rejoice in our sufferings, verse 3. Much more we shall be saved by him from the wrath of God, verse 9. Much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life, verse 10. 
more than that. We also rejoice in God our Savior. Do you see it in verse 11? You see the theme there, don't you? He's saying, this is, this is bigger, what I'm talking about. What we receive in Christ. The, the gain in Christ is bigger than the loss in Adam. That's what he's saying. There's no, he doesn't just even the playing field. He doesn't just even the score. It's not just that we crawl back to neutral. He doesn't bring creation back to neutral. Christ's gain is bigger than Adam's loss. His life is more potent than the curse of death and the fall. And, and no text says it better than our text tonight. It's really one of my favorite texts in the Bible. Let's jump right in. Point number one. Just by way of background, notice that Paul's argument is tied to a factual reading of the account of Adam and Eve and their fall in Genesis 1 to 3. I talked about it this morning in different passages, but you'll see it over and over again in the New Testament, and you really see it here. In 5.12 of Romans, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin... So death spread to all men because all sinned. And, and Paul just, he seems to put a fairly literal spin on that creation account. And I think it's a very important point. Adam and Jesus are presented with, with equal historic seriousness and consequence. Paul doesn't even hint that he's treating Adam symbolically and then Jesus literally. In other words, both the fall and the cross are spoken of as things that actually happened in space-time earth history. Somehow, if Genesis falls into non-reality, so does redemption. It's important. If the life of Adam falls, so does the life of Jesus. If the effect of Adam's sin is eliminated, so is the effect of life in Christ. Because almost everything Paul has to say about God's grace in Christ is is predicated on the reality of the fall through Adam. It's not the only place in the New Testament that does this. And we looked at others this morning, so I don't need to get bogged down there. But I just wanted to start saying, when, like we said this morning, you always interpret the Old Testament in the light of the New. You start with the New and work backwards. Point number two, and I modified the wording that I'm going to read to you. It's not changed drastically, but it's not exactly the same as you have in your notes, and you'll see the slight change. It's just a bit more inclusive. Sin was present in the world and took its toll even before sin was codified in the law of Moses or the specific command to Adam. And I just didn't include the command to Adam that Paul did, so I just added it at the end of that point. But you can see it in Romans 5, 13 and 14. Paul writes and he says, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam, he had a specific command from God, to Moses, where you have the law codified and made official. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, so we know sin was there, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. 
So when Paul says sin is not counted where there is no law, 13, and then he maintains but death reigned from Adam to Moses, 14, he's not contradicting himself. I mean, he's saying death still reigned between the time God spoke that specific command to Adam, and Adam disobeyed, and before the law was given through Moses, death reigned between those two times because people still continued to sin. Think about it. If you work your way back through some of the studies we've done, Paul's already dealt with the presence of sin and our accountability even without the law. Remember we talked about the kind of revelation that all have, that inward sense of conscience. Remember we studied that in Romans chapter 1, say 18 to 23. Paul says, for the wrath of God, there it is, the anti-wrath movement, boy. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. But he's not talking about the law here. Not the Bible. Not the Ten Commandments. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. For, for although they knew God... They did not honor him as God, nor give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Or, or chapter 2 of Romans, 1 to 3, where he says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you do the very same things. So, so he's, there is still this awareness. Sin is present even before the law. Death reigns because people continue to sin. There's no mention of the Mosaic law in any of those verses from Romans 1 or 2. But these people are still without excuse. The law intensifies that awareness makes it count more, makes it more official. Point number three. This is what I want to talk about. Because I don't think this gets talked about anywhere near enough. Do you have that third point in your notes? Read it out loud with me, just the point. Something happened through the redeeming work of Christ that changed the situation of everyone who has ever drawn a breath. I get that in verses 15 through 19. Let me read it again. I know I read it once already. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. For the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. If... 
because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that man. Much more, I love that, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Death's going to be beaten. That's what he's saying there. Therefore, 18, as the trespass, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, everybody. So one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. How many people are affected by Adam's sin in verse 18? How many people are affected by Christ's gift? Yeah, we almost don't want to say it out loud because we know not everybody gets saved, right? 19, for as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Paul briefly states the obvious in these powerful verses. He, he, he quickly sweeps out of the way the fact that we're, there were striking differences between what Adam accomplished through his sin and what Christ accomplished through his obedient life and death. So Adam brings condemnation, 16. Christ brings justification, 16. There you go. Also, obviously, Death came through Adam, while life came through Jesus Christ. That's right there in the passage. Something else that's obvious. Through Adam's disobedience, many were made sinners, 19. So through Christ's obedience, many were made righteous, 19. So that much I think people can know and rejoice in. Those are all pretty important truths, but they're not the one I want to get at. Because for all of the differences, which are so obvious, what I want to talk about tonight, and I hope I can get you excited about, is Paul points out a very important point of similarity. Not difference, similarity. And here it is. Both Adam and Christ did something, get this, that affects every person who has ever drawn a breath. Both Adam and Christ did something that affects everybody. Now, lest you think, boy, Pastor Don, you're kind of going out on a limb there. I don't think so. Paul, whether we like it or not, Paul makes this perfectly clear, undeniably clear in verse 18. Look at it. Put your finger under the words. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for how many? Everybody. Doesn't seem right though, does it? It's an incredible statement. So we have to decide. Here we are studying this text. What are, what are we going to do with this? Is Paul saying everyone is automatically saved because of Christ's redemptive work? Well, we know that it'd be nice, but we know that can't be the case because Paul has said something pretty clearly earlier in this letter, Romans 2, 6, 7, 8. He 
he will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Well, okay, so much for that. So clearly there are different ends for different people. So what does Paul mean? What does Paul mean in 18? Therefore, as one trespass leads to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. So how is this, the redeeming work of Christ, just as coextensive as the sin of Adam? I mean, we know how many people are affected by the fall, right? Everyone. Everyone who's ever lived. So, so we need to think about this because Paul says this four times, four times in our text. He says what Christ has done on the cross affects just as many people as Adam's sin affect. He says it in 15, he says it in 16, he says it in 17, and he repeats it in 18. You just can't deny it. So let's start with what we know for sure. Paul's not describing some kind of universal salvation. He makes that really clear in that 17th verse. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive, who receive, underline receive, those who receive the abundant grace and the free life of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. So, so grace, he talks about it. The gift of righteousness, he talks about it. He says they, they have to be received. So salvation isn't automatic. Human reception plays a role in that. So it's not universalism. But while that's true, it, it still doesn't explain everything in this text. Because, because Paul still says there's something accomplished through Christ that is coextensive with the effects of Adam's sin. And we know how far Adam's sin reaches. We know that the effects of Adam's sin and the fall reach everyone who has ever breathed apart from Jesus Christ himself. So even though the effects of Christ's work are said to reach many, 15, 19, it's also the same number that are said to be affected by Adam's sin in those verses, many. So it's many, many, all, all, many, many. It's everyone. You still with me? So it seems, because this is tightly argued here, it seems there's no consistent way to get away from saying that Christ's redemptive work does something for everyone without saving everyone. The text seems to demand that. And that's exactly what I think Paul's teaching. And I think it's pivotal. I think it's pivotal. Christ has done something for everyone, and here's what I think he's done. We're starting to wrap down here. Wrap up. I guess you don't wrap down. You wrap up. Christ has extended universal, prevenient grace to everyone. And while that grace doesn't save everyone, 
Here's what it does do. He has made it possible through his own gracious work for sinners like I to choose not to resist the light that we receive in Christ. See, I could never do that. I could never do that while I was dead in trespasses and sin, and you couldn't either. So without God doing something for us in Christ, we would never, not any of us, we would never be able to do anything but reject Christ. Let me, let me be real clear here. Not one of us, I get accused of this all the time, not one of us possesses free will. That surprise you to hear me say that? I'm not a Calvinist. I should be arguing for free will, right? Not one of us possesses free will. Every one of us in this room possesses something different. We all possess. In fact, everyone in Newmarket possesses. In fact, everyone on earth possesses freed will. Everyone has been granted by Christ the capacity not to resist the light of truth in Jesus Christ. That doesn't save everybody, but it gives everybody the option of responding. I mean, Christ has made turning to God possible for all of us, though not inevitable for any of us. That's what he means in verse 18. One act of righteousness leads to justification. And it was all of grace. That's what he's saying. We, I brought nothing to the table in my salvation. I don't initiate anything. Not ever. It was all of grace... We've been preveniently graced through the mighty work of Christ. All of us. It's not irresistible grace. It can be resisted, but it's present. It's present in everybody. The capacity to embrace the light, which we would never have on our own. Let me tell you where else I think this is taught in the Bible. I don't think I'm pulling a rabbit out of a hat with this text, doing something really goofy. Let me tell you why. I think this explains some tricky verses like 1 Timothy 4.10. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior. Listen, the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Do you see the contrast there? Christ has done a mighty work for all people, and this is particularly the case for those who respond to his prevenient grace. Here's where you see it again. John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He was not the light. That's John the Baptist is talking about there. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Listen. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. The light of Christ enlightens how many people? Say it. Yeah, yeah. Not the elect. Everyone. So it doesn't say, as some assume, that Jesus provided light by his teaching or message or by providing some kind of way of salvation. I hear that explained that way all the time. It's not untrue, but this passage isn't describing that. It's talking about an inner work, an enlightening inside of all people. All people on the inside. John doesn't give us any more details than that. We wish he would. 
In a few weeks, Romans 7 is a difficult chapter. In a few weeks, we'll work into that. So something's been done for everyone that makes it possible for them to not resist the light in Christ. It's not irresistible grace, but it frees the will. It opens up the possibility. Point number four. You still with me? The life Christ brings, I love this, the life Christ brings is as eternal as the life he now lives. Look at verse 21 as we wrap up. So that as death, as sin reigned in death, sorry, grace also might reign through righteousness. Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's this reign of death that comes from sin, and there's a reign of life through righteousness that comes through Christ. We're not all the way home yet. So what that means is we, we're gonna, we'll still bury people in this church all the time. The fall is not totally yet undone. We live in a world still marred by sin and stubborn rebellion. And in spite of all of God's overtures of grace and mercy, people still refuse. They don't have to, but they can choose to. Grace isn't irresistible. But the reign of sin and death, Paul says, it's going to come to an end. It's the last enemy that's going to be destroyed. Last one. And here, Paul reveals the greatest contrast of all between what Adam unleashed on this world and what Christ has accomplished. The the life and lordship of Jesus will result in an eternal dominion over the tragic temporary rule of sin and death. His work, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Christ's reign, unlike Satan's, Christ's reign of life, unlike Satan's reign of death, Christ's reign will never come to an end. Satan's will. Satan's will. The book of Revelation describes the, the, the final persecution, and the, we studied it in the book of Revelation. His fury, because I love this, he knows his time is short. He knows his time is short. Christ's reign will never be undone. I think that passage of Scripture should make everyone very happy. And everyone said, 